Welcome to the Lives of Courage podcast with me, Jessica Stong. Each week, we'll look at ways to choose courage every day, as I know even the smallest acts of courage matter. Through inspiration and action, we can grow into who we are truly meant to be. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, sweet friends. We are talking today about hurry sickness. Oh, I have so much to say about this, and I'm not the only one, right? We hear mental health professionals and spiritual writers literally from every spiritual tradition and teachers and and ministers and coaches and psychologists, and we all agree that the speed of our lives is becoming an ever-increasing problem, right? We're moving too fast, doing too much, doing all the things, and it's affecting our health, our relationships, our sense of self, our faith, our career. I often ask my clients, like, what does your life look like right now? And I want you to think about that. If you're listening, I want you to consider what your life looks like right now. I often will teach people about how we're just all over it. It's all the overs, right? We're overworked. We run, we multitask. We don't have time for things that matter. We're overcommitted. I see this so often. We're always on the go. We squeeze spiritual life in where we can. We have thousands of kids things and we don't have time for us. We're overcommitted to everything in our lives. We're overtired. We don't acknowledge our limits and we push our point to the push ourselves to the point of sickness. And this really is my story, is my experience in the world. Um, and so this to me matters so much when we talk about this. Are you overwhelmed? We are constantly trying to find balance, to find help, to find support, right? We are overwhelmed by all that is. And in summary, right, we're exhausted, we're disconnected. In our effort to be overproductive, we become like, it's counterproductive. We become addicted to doing. My whole emphasis is on are we being versus doing? And we're studying that in the Courageous Life Society. And I love Parker Palmer described um, the whiteout conditions in a blizzard where farmers, I think in the Midwest, I'm deciding this, right? I can't really remember all that he described. But in a blizzard, they would tie a rope because the white, it was so, um, it was, there was such snow and wind, they couldn't see their house. So they would tie a rope and be able to follow that rope back home. What is your rope right now back home? Blizzards start when we say yes to things that we don't have time for, when we're overworked, when we're overcommitted, when we're overwhelmed, overtired, when we're disoriented, when we can't find our way back to us. What does that look like? And I'm so taken by this idea. I had people who had time to do the deep work, the inner work, when we were all in quarantine, right? I think that was a collective pause, a forced pause for some of us. Now, for those um, in, in 
professions like my husband with a restaurant that was carry out, right? There was not a pause. In fact, it was even busier. So I say this knowing that grocery workers are doctors, are restaurant, uh, restaurant workers, um, anyone in the service industry sometimes didn't get the pause. But for those of us, we got the pause. And we saw something different. We saw our lives differently. And we swore to ourselves we would never go back to being over it, to the over it lifestyle. And guess what happens? I hear from so many that we're already there, that our kids' sports activities have resumed and we've done all the things. And, and we are back in the state of hurry sickness. I love this definition. A pattern characterized by continually rushing and anxiousness. And this was, um, this was defined by or described by a cardiologist. I'm trying to remember his name. I don't see it in my, I mean, look at these notes. I don't see it in my notes. Cardiologist who said there is, um, and this was in the 50s, right? Before social media, before, and, and people throughout history have defined this hurry sickness. And this definition I also appreciate, a malaise in which a person becomes chronically short on time and so tends to multitask to the point of forgetting tasks or forgetting what they're doing. We're doing this in the Courageous Life Society. How do we focus? How do we be here now? What does that look like? And so we know that hurry is our enemy. Like hurry is the greatest problem of our time. And we are sick because of it. I know I am sick because of it. I was sick because of it. And there are 10 symptoms of hurry sickness that I've taken from um, John Mark Comer's book. And I always get the title wrong, but it is the ruthless elimination of hurry. And um, I want to tell you these symptoms. So you can say, oh, do I have hurry sickness? And I have heard um, people describe these differently, but I'm just gonna go into brief um, descriptions of these. So you can look to see maybe if your life is marked in some areas by hurry sickness, maybe not in all areas, or if it's happening in one area, is it showing up in all other areas of your life? So you are, the first symptom is irritability. You get mad, frustrated, or annoyed easily. Too easily, right? You're irritable with those around you. You're snapping. Uh, we look at it um, in, 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 I know, I can tell. When I get more irritable than normal, like, oof, I see what's happening. And it happens, um, no, I'm going to get to that later. Let's just go through these. Second is hypersensitivity. You see this where someone becomes overly, like a minor comment, hurts our feelings, a grumpy email sets us off, a little turn of events gets us off our course, and we are very sensitive to the world around us. That's another symptom of hurry sickness. Another is restlessness. You can't seem to relax right? You say, I've tried yoga. I'm not someone who can sit still. I've tried the Sabbath. I hated it. I tried to meditate, but I can't get quiet. Or my other favorite is you 
watch a movie with your family, but you're multitasking. You're like, you're cleaning, you're, um, right? You're half in, you're restless. Um, the fourth symptom is uh, work at, workaholism or nonstop activity if you don't work. You don't know when to stop. You can't stop maybe. And um, I love to describe it like your, your addictive behaviors, your drug of choice per se, is really accomplishment and accumulation. It's really hard because our society is we've got to accomplish things. We've got to pay the bills. Yes. But where is the line? And we suffer from this idea of sunset fatigue. I remember learning about this. And oh, this hits me. I remember, like I was going back through and I was writing down all the symptoms and I was like, <gasps> sunset fatigue is where by day's end, you have nothing left to give to your family, your spouse, your kid, or yourself. You get, you give them only your most tired, grumpy, or apathetic even, or yourself. It's like you're done at the end of the day, at the end of a work day you're done. I see this in my own life. Number five is emotional numbness. So you don't feel your emotions or like you don't allow yourself to identify your thoughts that create your emotions and you use anything and everything to distract or resist from those emotions. And also you can't feel the pain of others either. So you can't, you don't you aren't attuned, you aren't doing things because you're so busy. Number six, the sixth symptom is out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your purpose. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. You feel like you don't have time. When people say, I don't have time for myself, I don't have time for the things that matter to me, that's when we know that our priorities are out of align with our core values. Number seven is lack of care for our body. And that looks like the basics, right? Sleep, not even eight hours of sleep, but sleep, exercise, diet, um, right? Washing your, our faces, doing our things that we need to do. Um, I notice when I stop taking my vitamins, right? Like that's designed to help me. But I just look at those not having time. It's our thoughts, right? It's not, we actually don't have time. And I want you to understand this and we'll get to that. Um, and number eight, the eighth symptom is escapist behavior. We're too tired to do what's actually life-giving. I hear this so many times. I ask clients like, why don't you meditate? Why don't you spend time praying or, and there is no, no judgment when I ask these questions, right? They know that deeply. And I know that because I have to ask myself those questions. But when we are escaping our distraction of choice, whether it's overeating, over drinking, binge watching Netflix, that's right here, or browsing social media or YouTube, or surfing like all the sites, or shopping, even looking at porn, name your preferred cultural, I, he says narcotic, right? Your narcotic of choice. Is that escapist behavior? And for some of us, it's been socially 
we've we've perf we found socially acceptable escapist behaviors, escaping from the hurry sickness that's causing us pain. Um, number nine is slippage of spiritual practices, whether these are important to you. And remember, there is no blame, there's no shame. You avoid meditation, you avoid prayer, or anything that is life giving to your soul. That might be yoking your breath and your body in yoga and feeling the spirit all about you. Num the 10th and final symptom of uh, hurry sickness is isolation. And this to me is, 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 is the root of where we are struggling, is that we feel disconnected from ourselves, from others, and from God. You'll remember in the, uh, the cycle of courage, one of the pillars of that, that the work of courage is connection. And so I want you to remember that nothing is wrong right now, that nothing has gone wrong. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. I want you to reject any shame that you might be feeling. We just aren't taught how to slow down. It's like we are socialized. No, it's not like we are socialized to perform. And I always would say like, life would be so easy if we were monks and could just slow down. Like I was so holy five days in a spiritual silent meditation, right? But I wasn't any less holy than I am right now. We know that cognitively, it's important to slow down and create margin in our life, right? We know that, but we don't stop create new thoughts, create new feelings of purpose and hope to put it into practice. Our brains believe our lies 100% that we are what we do, we are who likes us, we are what we have, and, and we create so many thoughts. We want a happy life for our children. We want life to be easy for them, yes. And so we fall prey to the, the real pandemic epidemic is hurry sickness in all aspects. And I think the, the, the real pandemic, right, was a time for us to see that. And some of us swore that we would, we would pay attention. I ask clients and I teach, and I have to, you know, ask myself and teach myself what gets in the way of creating time for quietness and stillness and mindfulness, right? I ask myself that. I'm currently teaching, and you guys know this, the uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality um, series, and I'm so taken by Peter Schizero's explanation that it is a combination to get to emotionally healthy spirituality and presence, it is a combination of emotional health. But also, it's not just emotional health, sweet friends. It's slowed down. It's contemplative spirituality. And we need emotional health. And we are all looking for it, right? We're like, ah, I feel so out of control. But there is so much that if we only feel our feelings, we don't get to the deepest parts where we accept, where we trust, where we surrender to those feelings. 
we are learning to infuse the contemplative traditions, to infuse the mindfulness-based practices. It's found in scripture, it's found in Buddhist tradition, it's found in history. And this mindfulness, this intention, this slowness allows us time and space to be instead of do. For me, it's time and space to be with God, to be with Jesus. For you, it might be something else. It might be just time to stop and be still and reflect and think and listen. And so we talk about these and we're like, yeah, I have hurry sickness. Okay, lady, like I get it. But what am I going to do about it? I don't see any answers. I don't see any way out of how busy I am. You know, when I was a um, single mom, I didn't understand that I had a choice. I had to work, right? I had to pay the bills. I had to do the things. But they, I could create pockets of time. I could create the, the presence. I wrote this. Um, Sylvia Borstein on, on the On Being podcast said like this, spirituality and what I believe is this contemplative mindfulness looks like folding towels in a sweet way and talking kindly to the people in your family, even though you've had a long day. Mindfulness is the key, and we're studying right, that right now in the society, right? Being present, being attentive to where we are in this present moment. If you're here, you're here. If you're here, it's hard to be anything anywhere else. It's hard to be in the present. It's hard to be in the future. It's hard to be in the past, sorry. It's hard to be in the future. If you're here, you can't simultaneously be doing a thousand different activities or thinking about those a thousand different activities. And so I want to introduce you to two ancient disciplines or practices going back thousands of years that Peter Scazzera talks about in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this is the daily office and the Sabbath. And both of these are so powerful and they really serve as, as a tool to help us remember, help us to come back in the blizzard, in the whiteout conditions of our lives. How do we go back home? This is taught in chapter six of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, if that's of interest to you. And the first practice is called the daily office. And I know so many of my clients, so many people out there use devotions or quiet time. I write, write we do morning pages. I um, engage in the brain download every morning. I engage in meditation and prayer to center me, to allow me to take out all, out all the thoughts, to download it all. But sometimes, most of the time, I forget God the rest of the day. I forget that I can be centered for the rest of the day. I forget my rope home. It wasn't enough to do it once and check it off my to-do list, right? That's what we do. We're like, did my quiet time? I'm ready to move on. It's like by 9 a.m., maybe I'd be so busy, stuck into my own stories, in my own lives, that I'd forget about God. 
where I forget about the, the rope and I tried to hold it all together to keep the world turning as if I were God, right? Like I got this, I got this divine, you can sit down now. So the first practice I wanna introduce that Peter teaches is called the daily office. And um, this is where we, we, we understand it is the work, it is our work. He's trying to communicate something powerful and unique. And it's our time to be in, in, in presence with God, not to get something, it's to be, it's to do, it's to see, it's like communication and communion and abiding and connecting and feeling. It's an invitation to pause, to sit down at our metaphoric or real desk, right? As many times per day as we need, as we'd like, it means literally the work of God, right? David and Palms, Psalms, I would say that, Psalms 27 is our first work in life, regardless of our vocation or job, or like taking care of our children is to seek God and to be with God. So why pause, right? Like why? How many times? He says two to four. I say start with one, right? Like one is better than none and two is better. Like it's, it's, it's just the act. And if what happens if you forget a time, which I do daily? to beat yourself up about it. We it's it's literally a reminder to recenter. So if you're beating yourself up, if you're taking if you're disconnecting yourself for not doing doing a practice of being, you've missed the point. Nothing can really ever ever sever our tie with the divine. And so the work is just to re remember just to, to be. It can last anywhere from 30 seconds of breath, this pausing to 45 minutes. I mean, you do you, but the actual stopping is what makes what Brother Lawrence talked about, this incredible person, this dishwasher in a monastery in France. It makes it possible to practice the presence of God. Now we should be practicing the presence of God when we're folding our, our laundry, when we're speaking to those around us. So we are really doing anything in these moments of mindfulness, in these moments. I meditate on what is pure and honorable and noble and pleasing and commendable with excellence and praise. I think about these things during this time. I pray, I listen, I surrender, I believe, I meditate, I feel. Peter Scazzaro recommends that you include four elements, right? Regardless of what approach you ultimately choose, it's stop. We stop our activity and pause to be present. We center second. You know, for, for those of you um, that have um, this, this faith tradition, be still before the Lord and wait patiently, Psalms 37, 7. Be still and know that I am God, Psalms 46, 10. We move into the divine presence and we rest there. We find rest. 
Three is to get quiet, right? I loved Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, which was informed by Dallas Willard's work. And John Mark Comer was work was informed by his conversations with John Ortberg. So it all goes back to Dallas, right? Silence and solitude are the two most radical disciplines of our life now. And Henry Nowen, Henri, no Henry uh, Nowen, um, whose work I cannot begin to tell you what a difference it has made in my contemplative experience of the divine. He says, without solitude, it is almost impossible to live a spiritual life. And, and Peter says, for um, the fourth is scripture for you. It might be true. For me, it is. But for others, it might not be. But I want you to listen to yourself. I want you to listen to your calling, to the stirrings of your heart. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't, don't do it. If it makes you feel disconnected. And I love, and of course I have it at uh, my, my seat over there, um, I love to use the daily office book that accompanies the Emotional Healthy Spirituality course called Emotional Healthy Spirituality Day by Day. And it gives two times of like, it's like a, a, a verse, a quote, and a reflection question and really to develop a rhythm with the divine in our lives. So the second practice that I wanna discuss is Sabbath keeping. And we know, and I say this as someone who is working on this. I don't say this as someone who has it perfect because I have nothing perfect, right? Like if we start to believe that we have it down pat, I think we probably aren't telling the truth. Recognizing the Sabbath is about keeping a weekly rhythm. So we have a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm for our lives. That side note, that's why I loved the Waldorf tradition um, for helping children learn the rhythms of life. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that means to cease, to stop working. It refers to doing nothing related to work for 20 hour period each week. I just was taken by this. Um, someone dear in my life who often listens to this podcast has been unable to, to let go of work, of to let go of the constant doing. And now that he is in an age where he is unable to do all the time, he feels like the the floor has been pulled out from underneath him. And I know that deep in my heart when my floor was pulled out from underneath me. I was in free fall and I was caught in, in the stillness and I was held in the silence and I was held by the divine in the being versus the doing. And this is a radical approach to set aside a whole day to rest and delight in the creator, in the divine, in this experience of not performing. And I hope that I can continue to learn this so that when I am 80, I am not 
able to stop and to be. I think that is one of my deepest fears is that my whole life I would have to perform to be loved. And that is my deepest work as a person. And I believe that the Sabbath should be and can be practiced in any way you see fit. And perhaps you want to start with three hours without a phone and your family just in community. For, for my family, that would be so um, difficult because someone's a business owner and someone is a teen, oh, a preteen, right? But how do I help my family see? How do I help them? It is my, it is my calling. It is my um, responsibility. And it is also my opportunity to model this. So we can start small and build up. We can use practices. We can, we can learn from others. And we can understand that our brain wants to go to extremes, that legalism. If you don't keep the Sabbath, God will be angry with you. It's like you've committed murder, right? It's what? It's the fourth of the commandments. We only pay attention to lying and, and um, all kinds of rules happen. And, and we see this, right? We see that legalism. Or the other extreme is that you treat the Sabbath as, as if it's like, eh, no biggie. There's no need to bother with it. So we get to understand that we can be balanced, that we can, we can come back to it. I love um, the traditional Jewish Sabbath. I just... I'm just so in awe that seven, seven, like 24 hour block of time. You can do what you wish. And there are four principles for Sabbath. One is to stop. Sabbath is first and foremost a day of stopping. But most of us can't stop. Most of us are on, right? We're like, we're doing. So when we are stopping, we understand what it's like that we aren't doing, we aren't doing the work of God. Nothing measurable needs to be accomplished by the world's standards. We see it as unproductive, useless, inefficient by my standards, right? Oh, one the theologian whose name I don't remember said to fail to see the value of simply being, simply being with God and doing nothing is to miss the heart of Christianity or miss the heart of, of spirituality. And what I would do pre the Sabbath was wear myself out. I'd try to do all the things, phone, emails, projects, balancing things, finish cleaning the house, like blah. And there's always one more thing to do. And I'd, I'd be over myself. But we understand that God, is leading, God is in control and assuring us that the world will not fall apart or the divine, the experience that someone else is taking care of the universe. We don't have to run things. Okay, so the second principle or uh, is rest. We are called to rest. You read in the Bible, God rested. We are one, we are the same, we are to do the same. 
every seventh day resting from our paid and unpaid work, from the hurry, from the physical exhaustion, from the hurry sickness, from the errands, from the technology, from the overwhelm, and the rest. Rest is what is calling, our soul is calling. In keeping our soul, we are called to rest. When we stop and rest, we respect our humanity and the image of the divine in us. And Peter Scacero said, like, when we are constantly performing, when we are living to others' expectations, when we are performing in a way, we are, we are doing violence to us. Third is delight. And, and I think this is the most important, is delighting in what is around us, delighting in the abundance, right? When I stopped shopping. I stopped, right? Delighting in and seeing what we've been given. God delighted. It was good. It was very good. God beamed with delight. And on our Sabbaths, we are invited to enjoy and delight in, in our, our, our souls and ourselves and our families. If the day turns into a do this, don't do that, do get this done, oh, that's wrong, we've missed the point. It is delight. We're slowing down, we're paying attention. That's like if someone is being overly legalistic about meditation, they've missed the point. We pay attention to the gifts and abundance in our lives, we take the time to see the beauty, to really see the people. And this is the hardest for me um, in that I, I think I have been called to stop, to rest, and to delight and contemplate all of my days with my children at home. I am habitually engaged in a pattern of hurry sickness, right? And, and of performance in my business, in my life. And I have to slow down with my children here. And I have to tell you, it is the hardest thing. It is, it is hard, sweet friends. And finally, the fourth is to con contemplate. It's that contemplative tradition. We see the invisible God and the visible creation. We, we contemplate. That is so hard for me because we're stopping. We're looking. We're focusing. We're seeing the abundance, receiving that. We, we feel the love. We, we stop and we are mindful of what goes into our mouth and what we see and what we smell and the nature and we slow down to see the abundance. And then we do this so well that we train ourselves to see it in the daily rhythms. We see it all the time, pondering the love Pondering love, understanding love remains, I think, should be the central focus of all Sabbath, of all the stops. It is our call. We experience like a sampling, a taster, if you will, of something greater. That which awaits us. We understand that our lives in our in perspective, right? We see our lives in perspective. When we stop, when we rest, when we delight, when we contemplate the divine fully face-to-face, -face, like we are like, here we are. And these two practices are countercultural. They're spiritual formation practices that enable us to slow down, 
to tune in, to be present. And I have to say this, I'm going to end with this. Remember, it doesn't matter where you're at right now, but you will not be in a hurry to implement these tools to overcome hurry sickness. It will take you time to figure out, to play around with how to implement these practices or some of these practices in your context. But this session is, is really, I, I just hope this serves as a guide to invite you to take those small steps towards a less hurried life that is more anchored and centered and present and loving and abundant, sweet friends. That to me is at the heart of mindfulness and being present to all that is around us. Okay, sweet friends. So if you suffer from hurry sickness, A, you're not alone and B, be present. Don't give up. You can do this deep and lasting and meaningful work. Okay. Till next week, sending you all love and hugs. I'll see you very soon. Thanks so much. And as always, I want to remind you, if you want more information about how to work with me, if you really um, have heard anything on this episode that you're like, wait a minute, you can go to jessicastong.com. You can learn more information about the Courageous Life Society, a group coaching membership that really helps you take all this information and apply it. And also you can get more information about one-on-one -on -one coaching. Thank you so much and have a great and courageous week, everyone.